fathers in particular, you need to recognize that you actually have a office in your home that God recognizes. So, so every individual can pray to the father through Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. But there are additional layers that God also sees. And one of them is head of your household. Right. God actually recognizes that office in the same way that you would recognize the chief of police or the mayor of a city or the pastor of a church or the president of a country. God recognizes head of households. And, and so you actually can speak to God about your family in an authoritative way that God promises to hear. You can plead the blood of Jesus for your family. Yeah. We have, we, have, we have the Lamb of God that actually takes away the sins of the world. I would just say that ought to be a, a particular point of, of hope that you, you can bring those things before the Lord when you haven't done it the right way, when you know you've failed in many ways, and there you are and you're waking up and you're realizing, oh no, what have I done? Well, um, go to the Lord. He, he hears you. Welcome to the Plain Speech Podcast. My name is Michael Clary. And I'm really excited to share with you the conversation today with Pastor Toby Sumter at King's Cross Church in Moscow, Idaho. Pastor Toby is one of the speakers at the conference that we're putting on in Cincinnati this April. The conference is put on by King's Domain Ministry, and I think he's going to be fantastic for the conference that we've got coming up. So I'd love for you to uh, consider coming to this conference. It's The information you can find out is at genderedvirtue.com. The price is $119 uh, per person, and it's April 18 through 20. Other speakers are Michael Foster, Joe Rigney, Shane Morris, and some others. And um, I'm super excited about it. I would love to invite you to come be a part of this with us, meet lots of other like-minded Christians. And there's a singles mixer that you can meet other folks uh, that if you're single and you know want to make some new friends, we have a mixer that will provide opportunities to do that. So enjoy this episode. Thanks for tuning in. I'm excited to have Toby Sumter on the Plain Speech Podcast with me today. Thanks for joining us, Toby. It's great to be here, Michael. Thanks for asking me. My pleasure. So I'd, I'd like to start out talking about patriarchy and household life, and then from there we can jump off into some other topics. I know you've written and spoken and dealt a lot in this space for a number of years. Um, the word patriarchy, of course, strikes terror in the heart of every feminist, because they think it means things like beating your wife or burning your toast or something like that. Uh, and that's, that's ridiculous, of course. But the, the question I wanted to start out with is, why do you hate women so much? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know it's a ridiculous thing. But that, that is the perception that so many people have about what patriarchy right. means and headship and so forth. And what from what I've been seeing on your, on your website and you know, the YouTube videos you've produced, um, it's joy and leading through happiness and, you know, creating a warm environment that is, and I'm like, that is, that is glad patriarchy. And so it's a serious question though. Um, I'd, I'd love to just hear what your family is like. So what's the temperature around the Sumter household? Yeah. Um, Thanks for asking. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm married uh, to Jenny, my wife, and we have uh, four uh, children uh, with us. And uh, my uh, oldest son has moved out. He's in college. He's actually engaged uh, to be married this summer. Um, so I, I, I feel like that's a new chapter, which I'm 
um, really excited for. I've got um, two sons, two daughters. Um, my sons are on the bookends, and then my daughters are in high school. I've got a senior and a sophomore, and then my younger son is uh, seventh grade. Um, it's funny, like I was, as I was glancing over those questions and thinking, like, what's my house like? What's my family like? I was thinking of dinner last night, and uh, this is this is maybe like shows you like we're sort of like I don't know two parts nerd two part I don't know like just goofy and uh, but um you know we're so we we uh uh you know kids go to uh our classical christian school here in town um so they all have to take latin classes um or did um one of my daughters is now taking spanish i took hebrew and greek in in uh seminary and a uh, smattering of latin and uh, and and then my wife and i also took spanish in in high school and so uh, at the dinner table last night, uh, my 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 daughter, one daughter was was practicing Spanish, um, and I was interspersing with uh, various and sundry Hebrew and Greek phrases, and um, and then mixing it intentionally, and um, and uh, and it, anyways, it, it was a it was a raucous, hilarious uh, a few minutes, and um, but I would say. Uh, that would have been a well, may, maybe a little more raucous than usual, but um, but uh, uh, our our dinner table is um, usually a place of a lot of uh, laughter, um, uh, fun uh, banter, uh, telling stories about what happened that day. Um, you know what happened to us? What silly thing did we say or do? Um, and um, and uh, you know, obviously. Uh, good food and, and drink and, and just uh, a fellowship. But I think by God's grace, um, that's a, that's, that's what our home is like. Um, our, our home is, um, uh, our, uh, even as our kids have gotten older, I think one of the things that's been really a huge encouragement has been how, um, how the kids love being home. Um, I, I, like they've all got friends and activities and they're busy and they're getting busier with, you know, sports and plays and music and all, all the things that, um, high schoolers and college students do. Um, but, um, but they're, they regularly are home and they, they like being home. They bring friends over. Um, and, um, and, and we have dinner almost every single night of the week. Uh, you know, it's sometimes a little sparser with activities, but, um, it's where we regroup. It's where we huddle. And, um, you know, especially on weekends, um, the kids around most weekends and a lot of Sundays are just us hanging out together. Um, so warm, uh, friendly, happy, uh, lots of laughter, lots of jokes, uh, stories. Mm -hmm. That's our life. So you've never been angry with your children or had a hard day around them? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no, no hard days ever. What are you talking about? Um, yeah, no, I mean, you know, there, yeah, I mean, there's, um, I mean, we're, um, we're normal human beings and, uh, with, with sin natures and, and, um, challenges and difficulties, I, I would say, uh, again, by, by God's grace, I think, um, the, um, the bumps have been, uh, relatively rare and few and far between, but I, I would say, um, it's, it's, but it's also been the kind of thing where, um, early, early on, um, especially as the kids were little and, and coming into the home, we just really worked at um, dealing with sin right away. Yeah. 
And so um, not letting any sin fester, not, le- not pretending sin didn't happen, not trying to sweep it under the rug. I, you know, I, I like to describe sin as like a, you know, it's like an old turkey sandwich. And like, it, it, you know, and if, if you don't like just put that under a rug and hope it gets better, um, it, it doesn't, it never gets better. Sin never gets better. Um, you ha- it has to be put under the blood of Jesus. And, and the way that it's put under the blood of Jesus is through confession and forgiveness. Yeah. And, um, and so my wife and I practiced that um, early on before we had children, um, you know, and as you're brand new newlyweds, uh, you, you know, you, you, re- you find out just how sinful and selfish you are. And, um, and, and you start having to practice that. And then as the kids come, you know, um, you find out a a new, a new level of sinfulness and selfishness in your own heart and in your, uh, instincts and, and responses. And so you have to deal with that sin. Um, but as you, um, you can actually get good at dealing with sin. It's, it's like, like, it's sort of like, you know, we're Christians, we're, we're all like highly trained janitors. Hmm. Like we just, we just, you know, we clean toilets, like we, <laughs> we, we take out the garbage. Um, like Christians are not people who I, I say this often, they, they're not people who don't sin. They're people who know what to do about sin. Right. And, and, but that means though, you really can get good at it. And, and, and so there's a spill, you know, the, the, the milk spills and instead of freaking out and making it worse, um, you know, you just grab the mop bucket, you, you grab the paper towels, you, um, you wipe it up and, and in 30 seconds, it's like nothing happened. And, and that's really when you're faithful and you really are repenting of sin and you really are owning it and saying, Oh, um, kids, please forgive me. I, I, that was harsh, or that was a sharp word, or that was not kind. Please forgive me, honey, please forgive me. Um, and you make things right. And then, and then the kids, they watch and they see you and, and their mom doing it. And then they just, I mean, they start doing it too. And they, I mean, you early on, you're, you're requiring it and you're, and you're, you're, um, uh, you're, you're teaching them to do it. But then as, as they grow, they, they start doing it too. And they come and they say, dad, please forgive me. I, I was, I was disrespectful or mom, please forgive me. Um, that wasn't the whole truth that I told you. This is mm-hmm. the truth. And, um, and, and we, but that's the culture. It's, it's a, it's a family culture of doing the dishes. It's a family culture of, of, uh, cleaning up our messes. And so, that, I mean, that's the secret to having a clean house. I, I didn't know this when I was in college, but now I know that the secret to having a clean house is you just clean. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you, just, you, you know, you, you do the dishes, you take out the garbage. And, and so that's what uh, one of the, it's just one of the basic things you do as a Christian is you recognize that when, uh, when sin happens, you, you don't try to sweep it under a rug. You don't try to ignore it. You address it. Uh, graciously, cheerfully, um, and you confess sin, you forgive, and um, put it under the blood, and and get back into fellowship. That's right. Yeah, it's interesting. the The perception, I think, broadly in Christianity is of Reformed guys being these very stoic, harsh, um, scowling, legalistic people. And what what I've seen from you and you know the guys you you hang with across politics guys and fight life feast guys like joyfulness cheerfulness uh, is that is that is the vibe and s- feasting celebrating these are these are things that just don't fit the stereotype and of course it's it's biblical Christianity I mean we're not told to be scowling and and mean spirited we're rejoice in the Lord you know even in suffering we rejoice all the time and that. 
there's a there's a, a guy in our church that he really pushes this idea, and that's a uh, he was the one that really first started talking about it a lot, and I've I've internalized that a lot in my own thinking. Where he what he, what he want he wants not just okay catechism questions. I want you to know the right theology and stuff, but there is a a spirit about his home with his family and his children to where they they know their dad as a joyful man and he's he mm. delights in the lord and there's a playfulness there's a a, a spirited uh delight in one another they you like being around one another and that i f- i find is even e- that that can cover up for a lot of doctrinal gaps or uh errors mm. because you're you're embodying the truth of scripture in your life um and the doctrinal things can be corrected over time but the, the spirit thing is is it's really important, and I, I love hearing that coming out of the reformed world, and and, and to be yeah. getting prominence with so many leaders. So I'm I'm thankful to hear that. Yeah, uh, Pastor Doug Wilson uh, a number of years ago sort of coined the phrase Chestertonian Calvinism, hmm. and and he's, uh, and, he's Catholic, and, uh, right? I, he hates Calvinism. I know, right? <laughs> That's that's just just to make people confused, but um, but he's actually he's actually riffing off of a of a um, something he got from C.S. Lewis, um, who um, in in his work um, responding to people who um, have particularly thought this way regarding Puritans, um, that that the Puritans are dour and cranky and fussy, yeah. Um, and, 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 and so, you know, I mean, if you read like, um, you know, Scarlet Letter in high school or something like that, and you just sort of think like, that's the Puritans, it's all black and dark mm. and dreary and, and fussy and introspective. But Lewis actually did a quite a bit of, um, uh, historical work, uh, and, and, and was demonstrating that the early Puritans were actually not accused of, of those things. That's hmm. something that's come much later er, early on, the early Puritans were actually accused of being far too celebratory. Interesting. Um, because, because if you remember the Roman Catholic church had said, you know, had all these like fast days, they, um, they elevated celibacy and not being married to these like Uber holy levels. And it was the Protestants, you know, like under Luther, they were breaking women out of convents so they could get married. You know, Mm -hmm. they were, they were breaking men out of monasteries so they could get married and celebrating the marriage bed. And, um, and celebrating, you know, good beer and good sausage, uh, even on fast days, because they said, you know what, um, the Bible doesn't bind our conscience to these fasting days. You can fast if you want, but you don't have to, you can feast. Yeah. And so the early Calvinists and reform types, um, were accused of actually being, um, far more too celebratory. Um, and, and Lewis says, he's the one that actually says, if I may use the name of a good Roman Catholic, he says they were far more Chestertonian than their adversaries. Hmm. Um, and so he's, he's sort of playing with that Catholic Protestant. Right. Thing. And, uh, and, and so, uh, uh, Doug has, has applied that to, to, to the notion of Calvinism, but you know, Chesterton was a Roman Catholic and took lots of pot shots at Calvinism, which is, you know, Kind of ironic, and and of course Chesterton knows better now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but um, but 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 Chesterton himself, if you read Orthodoxy, describes him coming to know God as this like exuberant, childlike, joyful um, storyteller magician mm-hmm. who 
speaks the world into existence and it's and it's and it's his playground and it's full of life and laughter and 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 he specifically says i i, I always thought of the world as being a story and now i came to know i came to realize that there must be a storyteller uh, and i always thought of the world as being magical and i realized now there must be a magician mm-hmm. and, and and i would say you know that's calvinism right right <laughs> that, that calvin you know re- reformed theology is just saying um, the storyteller has reached down into the story <laughs> and saved saved us wretched sinners. And uh, so, anyway, that, that's. Uh, but I think it's coming to know the the joy of the Lord is is recognizing that God Himself is is a is a is just He is full of joy. God Himself is, uh, you know, it, it says in Zephaniah that He rejoices over His people with singing, and and uh, and then speaking of even just thinking of like a fatherhood joy, like. When, when God the Father shows up in the Gospels, He's there to speak blessing and joy over His Son, in whom He is well pleased. Yeah. Um, so, if yeah, I think it's a it's a terrible slander that Reform types um, have uh, come to be known uh, for being cranky and fussy. And, <laughs> and uh, meticulous in all the wrong ways. Well, the doctrine of total depravity uh, lends itself to that. And this uh, this sort of introspection, morbid introspection of just, right. there's there's got to be some sin down there somewhere. I've, 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 I've got to just, if I just keep digging, I'm going to come up with something. And it, it can produce a joyless, um, navel-gazing kind of uh, morose Christianity. And that by contrast, I mean, how many times in Scripture are we told to rejoice and to delight ourselves in the right. Lord? And as you're talking about Chesterton, I I pulled out my phone and did a quick search to find a quote that I I remember from him. Uh, one of my he, he's so quotable, but he says, "Children have abounding vitality because they are in spirit fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again.' And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead." <laughs> For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony, but perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, "Do it again" to the sun, and every evening, "Do it again" to the moon. <laughs> and that—that that is, that is, yep. that is the kind of God that delights my soul, that stirs my heart to worship. Whereas, I, my, my tendency personally, I can be more inclined to uh, melancholy. Um, there's. And, and there's a lot of guys in my church that are the same way as one guy in my church that uh, he told me, it's, it's probably been a few years ago, but um, he's, he's just always dark and down. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about reading this um, Puritan or John Owen or something. I was like, man, don't read Puritans right now. Puritans, not what, what would do your soul good just right now, <laughs> at least not the ones that he was looking at reading um, because it was sort of feeding this, this impulse that sure. was heaping this weight of condemnation on every thing he did. He, and I was like, you're, you're not enjoying freedom in Christ. So let's start there yeah. and let the Puritans, um, edify you whenever you can receive it in the right spirit. Yeah. It's, it's striking that in first John, uh, it, it, you know, when he, he starts off the letter that he's, he's written in order that, that those is, those who are reading and hearing might have fellowship with him and the other apostles. And he says, and our fellowship is with the father and with his son, um, and then, and then he says, and, and I'm writing that your joy might be full hmm. and then says, and God is light and in him, there is no darkness at all. And if, and if, and if you say you have no sin, you're lying. 
and the truth is not in you. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, the son cleanses us from all sin. And if we, you know, and, and then he says, and if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I, it's striking to me though, that in that very place where John goes, I mean, like, you know, right up the center, I'm like, you know, the problem, the reason you don't have joy is because of sin. Right. Uh, the re- is you're not walking in the light. You have darkness. You can't, darkness doesn't have fellowship with the light, but, but the whole driving thing is joy, right. light fellowship and and expects that um if you if you're dealing with your sin in the right way you're constantly coming back into the joy you're constantly coming back into the light coming back into fellowship um it it shouldn't leave you in a dark place uh or in a morose place or a a, you know terror you know morbidly introspective place it it it, uh, if you're if you're doing it right john says uh, you should be getting fuller and fuller of joy amen My great-grandparents got married when they were young and they stayed true to their wedding vows for 74 years. They lived long enough to meet some of my children, which was their great-great-grandchildren. Unfortunately, healthy Christian households like this have become an endangered species, and Christian understanding of sexuality is often more catechized by the world than informed by a biblical worldview. And so as a result, we have increasing numbers of Christians who lack a proper understanding of masculinity, femininity, and the beauty of God's good design. And so Christians who want to obey God's design for sexuality still need guidance from faithful leaders. To address this need, King's Domain Ministries in Cincinnati, Ohio has invited an incredible lineup of speakers to our annual conference. This year, the theme is called Gendered Virtue, Men and Women Who Take Dominion. The lineup of speakers includes Michael Foster, Joe Rigney, Toby Sumter, Shane Morris, and others. And our desire is to help men and women know why God created the sexes the way he did, how we can live virtuously and harmoniously with each other, and how all of this is for God's glory and our good. I'm confident that everybody who attends this conference will leave with three things, other than the sweet t-shirt and the other swag that we'll give you. Number one, a biblical blueprint for establishing Christian households that last for generations. Number two, practical application for men and women from experienced ministers of the gospel. And number three, tangible steps that you can take to move forward in your specific situation. This conference is intended for men and women, single or married, or whether or not you have children. You will certainly benefit from the teaching and fellowship that you will experience at this conference. I would love to have you here and I'd love to meet you personally. We've done everything we can to keep the cost low, so it's only $129 per person. If you want to find out more information and register, just go to genderedvirtue.com. I look forward to seeing you there. Apply that to parenting. Uh, You wrote something on your blog um, that uh, talks about joyful parenting, and I'll, I'll just read a quote here. I'd love to hear hear any any other thoughts you'd like to add to it but what you wrote is this if there is no center of joyful fellowship then there's nothing for discipline to bring children back into what is that center of joyful fellowship it is the fellowship of forgiveness we are forgiven we obey joyfully because we've been forgiven much and parents model this obedience when they joyfully discipline their children do you want your children to joyfully obey then show them how show them how in the way that you want to joy or Show them how in the way that you joyfully correct them. That's a, that sounds like all that you've been talking about 
directed towards your, your own children and your household. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell parents uh, that, um, uh, you, you are always sharing with your kids what you have with your spouse. So, so you're all like children are just multipliers and they're either multiplying your fellowship and your joy, or they're multiplying your lack of fellowship and resentment and bitterness or, or, or whatever. Um, and, um, and, and, but I, I've also thought about this in terms of, and particularly as I, in that, in that quotation, when I'm thinking about discipline, I've, I've often sort of chewed on, um, you know, why does discipline work the way it does and what is it that we're, we're trying to do? And one, one thing that, um, um, for several years we, we did some foster care and, um, and sort of, so had a sort of new angle to sort of chew on this because, um, it's, you know, it's, um, uh, illegal for, uh, most foster parents, uh, most States, I believe to, um, corporally discipline, right. um, uh, foster kids. Um, and, and I, as I, as, as, and we mostly had little babies, so it wasn't really a, a, an issue. We had one five-year-old boy take a swing at my wife one time. And wow. uh, <laughs> I bet he learned real quick uh, not to do that a second time. Uh, I, I, I knew what he needed, <laughs> but I couldn't give it to him. Um, but, uh, but, um, but I, as I thought about it, um, more, I realized, you know, while I'm not sure I, I mean, I don't like the state being in charge of taking care of our orphans. I think there's some jurisdictional problems there. Oh, yeah. Um, they're not best, not the best place to do that. So I, I have objections there. I also have objections to the typical, you know, they, when we went through foster parent training, they, you know, list spanking and corporal forms of punishment, just right along with, you know, biting, kicking, spitting, mm. you know, and all kinds of abuse. And I, I told our trainer, I object, <laughs> objected to that. And, uh, in fact, this, this, this one gal who would do our annual check in to recertify us asked about our training. And I mentioned that I said, I, I, you know, I learned some things, but I also, you know, really objected to that. And, uh, she says, well, how, you know, she knew we spanked our own children. She says, well, how, how do you guys do that? And, and I explained to her, you know, we, well, we say, you know, uh, that, you know, this is what you've done and we, we should take them somewhere private. And, um, in our house, it was the bathroom usually. And, um, and, uh, I would explain what they'd done make sure they didn't have any, you know, strong, you know, any serious objection or that we'd misread or misunderstood, tell them how many spanks they're going to get. Um, and then deliver those SWATs, hold them, comfort them, uh, tell, you know, pray with them, uh, uh, tell them they're all forgiven and then make sure that all the relationships are restored. Yeah. And she kind of looked at us and we said, well, that actually sounds constructive. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> and then, <laughs> we, we, we think so. Um, and, uh, but, uh, I, uh, but as I was thinking about it, I also realized that I, I do, there was part of me that I, I grew in some sympathy, uh, for, for, for realizing, um, you know, we had a number of kids, you know, maybe 20 or more kids in our home over the you know course of five years or so. And, um, and I realized though, that for most of them, uh, that we, where we didn't have any kind of relationship with them and, and they were there for a week or they were there for a few weeks or whatever. Um, I, I realized I don't, I don't actually think that spanking really would have helped most of them. Um, because, 
um, that corporal di- discipline works in a, in a loving relationship right. where there's where there's trust, where there's joy, where there's fellowship, and then what has happened when when that a child in that kind of family has sinned, they're actually leaving the joy. Yeah, the, the sin is is leaving the fellowship and leaving that um, that um, that that family love and and trust and loyalty. And so when you 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 give them the three swats or whatever, um, and it, what you're actually doing is you're saying, don't go that way. That that way is out of the joy. That way is out of the fellowship. Come back in, come back in, and and so long as there is a center of joy and fellowship and gladness, then then that restoration is sweet. Yes, they're forgiven and everything's better. You're all forgiven. There's no black cloud over you, Johnny. You know you 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 hit your sister. Let's go make it right with her. You say your you know please forgive me. She forgives you. You give hugs. Now we're all back in fellowship because there's a center of joy and love and fellowship. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think there are other families maybe that, you know, you know, I'm using the foster kids scenario, sort of an extreme version of where there's not that center. They don't even know who you are. And, and you're just trying to give them a safe place to stay for a little while. Yeah. But I think there can be other families where they're all, you know, biologically related, but there's sort of this stench in the room constantly mm-hmm. and this, and this, this tension and this, uh, and, and then I, I think there are some situations where there's not a center of joy. There's not a, a center of fellowship. And then, and then you go and you discipline them. And I, I think, you know, maybe they deserved it, <laughs> but, but nevertheless, it's not doing what it's supposed to do because it's, you're, you're not, there's not a fellowship. There's not a center to bring them back into. It's just grumpiness and anger and seething resentment. And then, you know, Johnny hits Susie. And then you, I mean, I think in those situations, it can feel like to Johnny and now you just hit me. Uh, right. <laughs> like, I mean, aren't, aren't we all angry at each other all the time? And you, you think, you know, that this is going to work. And I, and I say, it's not going to work. Um, in those scenarios, it only works when there's a center of joy yeah. um, that you can bring, bring them back into and restore them into. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. It makes total sense. I, I've, a lot of the ways that people perceive spanking is it's it's abstracted from the context of a loving home and it is perceived as merely striking a child which if that's all you know then that would appear right. like abuse when right. it's it is it is not something that is this is all discipline means all discipline is is child acts out they get a beating that that's a caricature Whereas in scripture it presents like there is a there is a whole picture here of a godly household and what God instructs the fathers and mothers to instill in their children. And they have a new number of tools that they can use at their discretion. And spanking is one of those tools to administer discipline. And of course, it, you know, that, that, that works at a particular time in a child's life. And then you you move on to other forms of discipline as they get older. But I think of it right. as a kids don't have the ability, it's part of immaturity. Immaturity, you, you're impulsive. It's like, I want it now. I want to get it now. I want to act out now. And there's, there's no ability to think action leads to consequence. And right. a lot of the consequences, uh, would be 15, 20 years down the road. And so whenever my right. sons were little, um, I would, I would talk to my wife about this. I'm like, we have to correct this now 
because the behavior that I'm seeing here at two years old doesn't scale well when he's 16 or 20 and he's, I'm six, four. So whenever he's my height, he's towering over you and he can, he could really hurt, hurt you. So we have to correct them when they're young. And so it's like, there's, if there's no discipline that they feel, they have to, they have to recognize this is a, a direct consequence and it needs to be immediate. So it's like, I've done something. Okay. Immediately we go into the bathroom or some private place and there's pain. It's like, okay, I associate behavior with pain. And so action right. consequence. And then over time they learn patterns of behavior that uh, produce uh, good results and then patterns of behavior that receive pain. Right. And then, you know, five years down the road, you could say, Hey son, um, stay off that website. Um, don't hang out with those people, right. stay away from that girl. And you don't have to beat them or spank them to instill the lesson. They know dad knows pain, uh, will come out of these things. And uh, one other thing about this, like for those that, that want to say, you know, it's, this is child abuse or something like, like all the people hand wringing over the Nancy Wilson, that little video clip went around a few months ago. Um, it's right. absurd because most of the people that I know that were spanked as a child, they speak of it with fondness. And it, it's a strange thing, but but I, I know people say, like, oh, yeah, man, my dad, boy, he beat the fire out of me. Or it's like, mom used to send me out with the, to get my own switch. And it's something they laugh about because it's it was just part of their childhood. And I, <laughs> the last, time, last spanking I got, <laughs> my mom still reminds me of this a lot. I was 16 years old. I'm six foot four. And she had brought wow. me some, bought me some new jeans and, you know, money was tight. And so she, you know, went out of her way to buy these new jeans, but the fad at the time, as it is now is to cut them up. And so I took a pair of scissors and I cut up the jeans. And the next time she <laughs> saw me wearing them, she's like, are those the jeans I bought you and just gave you yesterday? And I'm like, yeah, why? What's up? And then she lost, she flew across the room and literally like bent me over her knee, this grown man guy and spanked my butt. And I think it's hilarious to talk about it now. I'm like, I wasn't abused by her. That was nothing, but it's, it's a funny thing, but we're so, we're, we're so afraid that we might abuse somebody or hurt their feelings or not affirm a child in some way. And it's, it actually leads to more harm than good. Whenever these, these kids, oh, there's a lot of kids that are undisciplined. They've never known a parent or a father who can really give them good, firm, stern discipline that they need. And that helps them to grow. It's a sad thing. Yeah. I always, I always say, you know, you, what you're doing with the, when, when they're young, exactly what you said. I mean, when you're, when you're teaching a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a four-year-old, five-year-old to control themselves and to understand um, that certain actions lead to certain consequences, you're, what you do there is you're, you're giving them, a very mild little bit of pain yeah. in order to prevent far greater pain, hmm. pain of out of wedlock pregnancies, right. pain of drunk driving, pain of incarceration and prison time. Right. You know, I, I yeah, I, I, um, three to five, you know, swats that sting for five, you know, minutes max is absolutely loving and kind to prevent those kinds of life altering, um, you know, um, consequences down the road when they're 16, 17, 18, 20, 21, yeah. 25. Um, and so it's, it actually, it absolutely is kindness and love. 
And, and so all the, and I, and I think you're absolutely right. All the, the, um, you know, uh, the accusations that somehow this is, um, hateful, um, are just, is just an absolute, um, lie and contradiction. I, and I, you know, I, and I do think, and, um, part of what I'm getting at in that quotation is, is obviously, um, we must, um, even as we're administering these kinds of acts of discipline, they, we must ourselves embody the the kind of self-control yeah. and, uh, and, and, uh, cheerfulness and, and kindness and, um, and being judicious in it. Um, we're, we're, uh, if, if we're flying off the handle, um, then we're, we're not in a position to actually administer the discipline. Um, Galatians six says that, um, you know, you who are spiritual, uh, restore such a one in a, in a spirit of meekness, yeah. um, lest you yourself be tempted. And that, you know, that applies to parents and their kids. And obviously you could be weird about, you know, you know, sort of laughing your way to the, you know, to discipline or something in a, in a weird way that would be just well weird. Um, but, but, you know, uh, calm collected and also recognizing this is a gift from God and I'm not going to let you go this way. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I want you to stay in fellowship with us. I want you to get back in the joy, um, back in the light with the rest of your family. Um, that's just, that's, it's, it's produced so much fruit in our family and in our community. Yeah. With the, the optimal environment, and this is not, I mean, this is taught in scripture, but affirmed and, and those that have studied these things elsewhere, optimal environment for a child to grow up is with an intact home. We have a mother and a father that love one another and they love God and they love the children. And it's a, it's an environment that is joyful, that is, is seeped with this, uh, Christian, uh, delight in the Lord and there's happiness there. And that's a good environment, a context where discipline can be administered and there's an immediate consequence, but there's an immediate restoration. So it is not this thing that hangs over your head, as you said, and that I think of what, what we're seeing happen in the breakdown of our fa- of the family in general and society is a lot of people are not being raised in that environment. And as these divorce rates have, they, they started, they've been spiking and, and increasing for an, a long time. And so now we have entire generations, um, maybe going even on the second generation of just a large number of broken households and children raised in those that they they did not benefit from the things that your children benefit from and my michael foster is a good friend of mine that uh in his book he calls them clueless bastards where they're fatherless children they and many of them now are fathers themselves so it's kind of like if you learn english as a second language it's like okay uh, i grew up speaking Chinese or Spanish or whatever, and now I'm an adult and I learn English and I'm trying to operate in, in this country, but my native, this is not my native tongue. I didn't grow up around it. And so I'm having to always think harder. The, the, my reflexes weren't trained in a biblical way. So I'm just curious what you would have to say about how Christian men who want to say, who want to have godly biblical households for themselves. They want what you have talked about so uh today mm-hmm. and like i didn't grow up around that uh, in fact my dad was an alcoholic or my dad abandoned me or my mom was abusive or whatever the thing was but it was messed up situations and now like okay i've got a generational curse that is handed down to me and i want to fix that curse and stop it with my own household 
how would you counsel men who are, they want to be godly fathers and they have no example to, that they grew up with of how to do it? Right. Yeah. Well, um, uh, Pastor Doug Wilson is, um, uh, uh, has often said um, that uh, the grace of God is that he meets us where we are, not where we should have been. And, and I really love that phrase, um, that way, that phrasing that God meets us where we are, not where we should have been. And so number one, I would just say, um, I think, um, one of the key things in parenting is faith, um, and not panic, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not, um, anxiety, um, not stress, um, not, you know, uh, any of those things. And, and this goes back to what we kind of the theme of what we've been talking about joy um, is, and you said this at the beginning, like um, that, that a, a joyful home can make up for a whole lot of um, stuff that you didn't know yeah. um, or, you know, or, or, you, you know, the, you know, you didn't cover all the catechism questions or you, you didn't have good theology, um, you, you know, but, but if, but that if there's joy at the center, then you have the fellowship and in the fellowship, you can eventually get there. Yeah. Um, if you're loyal to one another and you're loyal to the Lord. And so, but I would say that fundamentally then the core of that is just faith in the gospel for your family. Um, and recognizing that not only is the gospel just for the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life, but the gospel is for people who didn't have dads. Um, the gospel is for people who had abusive moms, the gospels for people who, you know, had broken families or or maybe they're on their second marriage now, or they've got a blended family or, you know, all the, all the things that can happen in a fallen world, recognizing that God, God's grace, isn't just a sort of super secret thing that injects, you know, uh, a new heart into your chest. It, 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 it also encompasses your, your, your life. And, um, and so, the Holy Spirit that's been given to you is the Holy Spirit that uh, um, gives you comfort and joy and peace for um, being faithful today. Yeah, for for being obedient today, and and I would say, and so that and that means number one, I would just say um, the big, most important thing you can do if you say I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, <laughs> the most important thing you can do is you can say, but I know the one who knows what he's doing. That's right. <laughs> And I have, and I have his spirit living inside me and I have, uh, I have his word. And, and so like, just like rest in that, rest in that. Yeah. Um, and, and trust in that, cling to that. Um, it, there's a, there's a massive difference between parenting and faith saying, I know the one who knows everything I need to know. And, and I belong to him and he is with me and he will not let me go. Yeah. There's a massive difference between that kind of peace that then, then looks at your house and says, all right, <laughs> let's do this. And, and the other, the other parent who's panicking, yeah. who's freaking out, uh, who's constantly worried and, and panicked. Like I'm screwing this up. I'm ruining every, everything. I don't know what I'm doing. And, and just, um, and then it's like running from book to conference, to book, to conference, to, you know, uh, I'll, I'll grab another sermon, uh, I'll, you know, and, and you're like constantly experimenting on your kids. <laughs> um, and, and they feel like lab rats. So, you know, mm-hmm. like, like no wonder nobody's happy in your house. Yeah. Um, but so I would say just, first of all, rest in the gospel for your situation, trust the gospel for your situation and trust that 
Christ is sufficient for you. And then remember that joy and peace and, and just deal, you know, forgiveness, like that's like, um, uh, that's 90% of it. Like that, that yeah. might just see like you say, but I don't have a dad. I don't know how to be a man. I don't know how, to, I don't know how to be a father. 90% of it, you know, maybe even more, um, is you being like God, the father and saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah, go ahead. And this is how, this is how to deal with sin here, here. We're going to confess our sins and we're going to forgive one another. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I, I, I love that. Cause but grace really is the, the, the underpinning of everything and with all, and all, and all the areas that we need grace in our lives because we, we sin in so many different ways. I think for our particular cultural moment, we especially need to remember the grace of God in areas of family, household, sexuality, parenting relationships, because it is under attack and people need to know that there is room to repent at any time and there's grace for you. And so a lot of, by God's grace, I would hope that my children, your children, everybody's like they would learn to repent early in life so they're not accumulating mistakes. But there's some people that um, maybe they come to Christ at, later in life at 35 or something, or they're a Christian, but they did not repent of some of these poor decisions when they had the chance when their children were young, but maybe they got red pilled and they woke up in 2020 and they're seeing transgender stuff and drag queen story hour and all these, all of these crazy things happening. And they realize, Oh my goodness, my children are in danger, but they're 17, 15 and 13. What do I do now? And yeah. repentance might, ideally you would be like, okay, let's run the clock back to the beginning and let's get, let's get your household in order, husband, wife, children, Christian education. Let's get all those pieces in place and let that play out across the, your life and your kids will, will, uh, turn out, uh, well, you know, trusting God's promises that they will. But now it's like, okay, they've been in public school their whole life. They're all their friends. They're in sports teams. Like you've got layer upon layer upon layer of, poor decisions or decisions that are much more difficult to walk back. And I think a lot of times people, they, it's, it's tempting to give up and feel hopeless. Like I've lost my kids. I've, I've screwed up and that's like, okay, let's, if somebody were talking this way in my office, I'd tell them, okay, let's begin with the grace of God. God, the, the grace of Jesus Christ has covered you and all of your overt sins and all of your foolish decisions and mistakes and things you could have wish you could do over. Now you walk that out in your life, walk that with your husband or wife, and then get your kids together. Um, hey, kids, I've, we've, we've, we, we need to obey God in our life, and we need to make some changes. And then you start to apply the book of Proverbs. Okay, we may not be able to just swallow the whole elephant in one bite. What are, what are some small nibbles we can make? Okay, let's, let's make some changes to our schedule. Let's make some changes to the courses you're taking. Maybe if there's if the younger ones, can we can we pull them out of the public school and get them in some other environment? And little by little, but all of that has to be fueled by the grace of God and not driven by a right. heap of condemnation. Where people say, "Well, right. I if, if if I don't do it just like Pastor Sumter does it, then we're toast." It's like my kids are gone. I'm like, no, of course not. Like God, God's grace can work through a number of different situations. But I think I think reform types can get really. We're being gracious in these areas is not what we're known for at least, but I think it needs yeah. to be 
as families continue to get more and more messed up as, as the years roll on. Yeah. And I, this is not going away. I'm just, and I'm anticipating there will be, it's, I don't have, I haven't seen it yet in my church at least, but when will we start seeing the people who underwent transgender surgeries and they're repentant now and they have to somehow learn how to walk out a life of Christian faithfulness to glorify God in their bodies that they've mutilated. It's like, there has to right. be so much a deep well of grace within your teaching theology and just that is soaking in the church community itself so that they can bring those people in and they will see in action God's grace in every way. But it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, I think just, you're absolutely right. And and we have, yeah, we have to be prepared for all of that and braced for all of that and be praying for that now. And, but I think you're absolutely right. You just, again, you, you start where you are, you believe the gospel for where you are and your job is not, yeah, don't, um, your job is not to, um, somehow try to be a family that you're not, yeah. <laughs> um, your, your, your job is to fix your eyes on Jesus and, it's the same spirit that's at work in all of our families, but all of our families are utterly unique and different. And we ha- we've had different pasts, different struggles, different challenges. And, um, but uh, you know, you, you, the, the problem is sin. And so that's the thing you want to deal with. That's the thing you want to repent of. Um, the other thing is, uh, was thinking of is, um, remember, uh, Job. Um, it, it's interesting that in the opening chapter of Job, it says that, um, uh, he used to offer sacrifices on behalf of his grown children. Hmm. Uh, we were told that they already had their own houses because they're having parties in their own houses when, uh, um, when they're, when they're, when they die. Um, and, but, but prior to that, he would go and offer sacrifices on their behalf in case one of them had cursed God it says. Hmm. And, and I think fathers in particular, but I think mothers can do this too. Um, but fathers in particular, um, you need to recognize that you actually have a office in your home that God recognizes. So, so um, every individual can pray to the father through Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. But there are additional layers that God also sees. And one of them is head of your household. Right. Um, and, and God actually recognizes that office in the same way that you would recognize the chief of police or the mayor of a city uh, or the pastor of a church or the president of a country, God recognizes head of households. Yeah. And, and so you actually can speak to God about your family in an authoritative way that God promises to hear. And, and so that, that ought to be also just a, a thing that I, I'm not sure that um, men always recognize that. Like you actually have a, an office before God and you can stand before God and you can confess the sins of your household and God will forgive. Yeah. And um, that doesn't mean then that the, the individuals don't have to worry about them. There's there's a place for that too. But there's also an additional layer there where you can um, plead the blood of Jesus for your family. Yeah. Um, we, we have a greater sacrifice than Job. That's right. <laughs> we, we, have, we, have, we have the Lamb of God that actually takes away the sins of the world. And, and so you can pray for your wife. You can pray for your marriage. You can pray for your kids. You can pray for your grown kids um, who are out of the house. And, and, and you still have a, you have a, a unique office before God that God listens to. And, and so I, I would just say that ought to be a, a particular point of, of hope um, that you, you can bring those things before the Lord when you haven't done it the right way, when you know you failed in many ways. And there you are and you're waking up and you're realizing, oh no, what have I done? Well, um, 
go to the Lord. He, he hears you. Um, and, and, and then last thing real fast would just be also, um, and you, you, you know, you noted this, but just want to emphasize, I think the other thing is this is also why the local church is so important. Yeah. Um, um, being covenantally bound to a local body of believers that gathers together for worship and is, is committed to one another. Um, I've, I've told this to, um, friends of mine who, who have asked this very question that said, you know, I grew up and I didn't have a dad, uh, you know, broken home. Um, you know, I, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have fathers and grandfathers that, that, um, where I can watch this done. And I, and I always stop them and I say, actually, no, um, you actually, in the covenant you do. Yeah. In, in, in the covenant, um, you have fathers and mothers, and this is actually what Jesus says. He says, I, anyone who has given up father, mother, sister, brother, children, lands, houses for my sake, um, he says, will receive back a hundredfold. Hmm. Mothers, fathers, sisters, <laughs> brothers, children, houses, lands with persecutions in this life and eternal life in the world to come. And and I think one of the central uh, applications of that is the church. Uh, in in the in the body of Christ, you have fathers and mothers. In, in the in the body of Christ, you have grandparents and 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 great grandparents, and you have brothers and sisters and children. Um, and I think of, you know, um, maybe single people, uh, who, you know, m- maybe, you know, I say, I, I don't feel like I have a family will join the church. You have a church. Uh, the church is, is a family. Um, maybe, uh, those who are barren and haven't been able to bear children and, and, and say, I, I'm, I don't have children. Yes, you do. Yeah. In the body of Christ. Um, and, and so, but, but th- this, that's why it's so, so important though, that when you say, I, I don't, I don't have those examples. Well, that's why, you know, the church is not perfect and the church is not full of perfect families, but by God's grace, um, there are families there growing in grace and you can talk to another man where you say, I, I love how you interact with your wife. How, how'd you do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I love, I love how your kids talk to you. How, how'd you do that? Um, I, um, you know, go to dinner, have people over to your house for dinner. Hmm. Um, this is what in particular Hebrews 13 says that you're to have elders that you're accountable to and you're to be accountable to them so that you can watch them in their lives and see the outcome of their faith. Yes. There's, there's, there's something particularly a, a blessing to have elders uh, and say, and, and, uh, and your elders ought to be the kind of men who you say, I want a marriage like his marriage. I want a family like his family. And it's all grace. It's all a gift. But that really is a place where you can have that family to imitate that you didn't have biologically. Yeah. As you're talking there, the image that came to my mind is like a composite father. Um, It's like, even if you have a composite father, an image in their mind of what kind of a starting point for how they perceive God and that it's corrected and clarified by scripture. But within a church family, there's a, it's like one body, many parts. There's variety of gifts and of all the fathers in the church, nobody's perfect, but you can have a composite image of, well, I love how this guy uh, leads his wife. I love how this father uh, disciplines his children. And I see this man, he is, he's a very courageous, outspoken leader. And throughout the, when you put them all together, it can form an image in your mind. It's like, okay, I've got, my dad may have been horrible. Somebody may say my dad personally was great, but somebody may have had a, a horrible dad personally, 
but they can look out across the horizon of the other men in their church and and form some composite. You know, of course, ultimately, uh, the scripture is what defines for us what perfect fatherhood is. But we could see that embodied in other men that we can then follow and emulate, and that's Amen. that's the beauty of the church. I, I wanted to ask you something, like as you talk about uh, how you fathers be having a particular role uh, or a, a, a unique office that God recognizes. I, I, you want to, you would, you would need to raise your sons to know that this is their unique calling or duty, um, that there is a difference in what men and women, how they would, um, could fall into sin, different temptations and different virtues and duties and callings that they could uh, aspire to. I'm curious how you would, how, how do you demonstrate this for your boys and your girls? You have two boys, two girls. Um, yeah. How do you avoid the androgynous parenting trend that is really stupid <laughs> and really yeah. get people, get your children to like, okay, here's how you act as, as a little girl. Here's how you act as a little boy. How do you approach that? Yeah. Yeah. One thing would be just starting as early as you can. Um, and, and obviously, again, back to what we just said, you know, God meets us where we are, not where we should have been. But I would say for young parents, especially, um, start treating them different from day one. You know, as soon as, you know, if you get the ultrasound and you know you're having a son or, you know, you're having a daughter, I would just say right away, start thinking differently about what they're for. And, and, and the way that the Bible describes what we're for is in terms of glory. Hmm. Um, the glory of man, the glory of woman. Um, this is this is what makes us shine. You know, you think of glory as that which makes somebody shine. Uh, someone who's really, really good at playing a musical instrument or a, uh, an athlete, you say they're, that's their glory. They shine when they do that. And everybody says, wow. Um, the, the Bible teaches that the glory of man is their strength. Um, and that strength is um, to be you, it's a, and I think of this as sort of a, 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 the whole holistic vision of a man. You're uh, to be mentally strong, spiritually strong, physically strong, and that strength is given to you by God in order to um, uh, take responsibility uh, for those around you um, through sacrificial love, and that means providing, that means protecting, uh, that means leading. Um, and so that's what your strength is for. And so when boys are little, I mean, I, th I think you, you want to lean into, um, that God made them strong, um, that, um, that's what they're, uh, that's what they're for. I mean, uh, um, and boys in instinctively know this, um, they, they, they are born and like five minutes later, um, you know, they've turned something into a gun or a sword. <laughs> um, and, um, and they and they and they know they're they're made to be brave and courageous. I mean, I think right after gun sword, the the next phrase that comes out of their mouth is "Watch this." <laughs> That's you right. Uh, and and because they want to do great things, impressive things, brave things, um, and and so. But I I, I um, taught my boys when they were little um, to um, to be strong. Um, and particularly, um, um, uh, would, um, talk about it in terms of, um, protecting their mom, protecting their sisters. Um, uh, we, um, early on, you know, we, we didn't, we, we made distinctions. They didn't, they didn't fight their sisters. Um, they, they were not allowed to shoot at their sisters, um, or their mom. Um, they needed to protect them. Um, 
uh, and and that would include as they got a little bit older, you know, holding doors for them, um, uh, waiting for them, helping mom with the the groceries, and and I would but I would pitch it over and over again in terms of you are strong, uh, God made you strong to help, yeah, um, God made you strong to protect, to defend, to serve. That's what your strength is for, and I, and I would and we would praise them. Um, uh, boys in particular, um, we, we are fueled by respect for our strength and for our accomplishments. And so they need to be praised that way. They need to be honored that way. Did you see what he did? Way to go. Do you see how strong he was? That was awesome. Did you all see that? Hmm. Um, uh, telling stories to one another about how strong they were and how great they were and how proud we are of them, just like God does, God, the father does of his own son. Um, Jesus. Um, all, all of those things would be things we emphasized. I also, um, self-control is a big thing uh, for boys, especially um, uh, with our appetites um, and feelings. You want to teach boys early, early on to rule their feelings and appetites. Um, they are made to rule, but they need to learn to rule themselves first yeah. so that they will rule well with others. Um, and so when, you know, my sons were one and two, um, the, the, the big areas of self-control would be, um, for pain, um, and anger and hunger, hmm. um, some of the big ones. And so if they fell down and they got hurt, um, uh, I would give them about, uh, five seconds to collect themselves and, um, you know, uh, fuss and, you know, that kind of thing. And then I would pretty quickly would look at them and I would say, show me tough. <laughs> and they had to, they had to make muscles and growl. <laughs> and, and sometimes they could, they could hit it right away, but sometimes it was still, you know, they were still crying a little bit and they'd get it half heartedly. And I would say, Nope, show me tough. And we, you know, maybe the second or third time they'd finally get it and they'd master those feelings, take a deep breath, um, wipe their tears and get back into the game. Uh, don't, don't coddle, um, the pain. Um, it, 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 life is going to be hard. Uh, life is sometimes going to hurt. And, um, and a, a man who does not have self-control, the Proverbs say is like a city with broken down walls. Yep. Um, and so we want to have young boys who are learning. A, and so the same thing with hunger, you know, uh, uh, you know, you got a, a, a little boy and he's hungry and he's starting to get fussy. Um, and you, you have to, um, require cheerfulness and self-control. Yes. You're feeling something in your body and you are hungry. <laughs> um, and you have got to say no to those feelings and be cheerful anyways. And obviously, you know, depending on their age and so on, you, you, you remember their frame and, and don't, don't require of a two-year-old what you can require of a seven-year-old, mm -hmm. but, but you want to be scaling, um, because when they turn 12 or 13, and puberty hits, they're going to be feeling something else very, very strongly in their body. And if they've never been required to say no to those strong feelings and appetites that they're feeling in their body, then why would they say no when they see that YouTube video yep. or Instagram clip, whatever pop up and say, oh, that, that looks good. Um, you, they've got to be practicing self-control, ruling their feelings and affections and, and appetites early on. Um, so that would be boys, um, a lot of, you know, emphasis on strength, self-control, um, joy, um, uh, ruling their feelings and emotions. Um, my daughters, um, you know, obviously there's some, um, 
some overlap, but um, but I would say definitely um, uh, the glory of a woman um, is her um, beauty and um, and her and her beautiful power of motherhood and and making home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, again, a little girl is born, and and five minutes later, um, whatever she's holding, it turns into a baby. Um, and she wants to make a home and she wants to be beautiful. And, um, and so, um, when our daughters were little, um, we, um, we encouraged that we absolutely encourage them to want to be beautiful. Um, we, you know, um, even early on, I mean, this is another thing, just, you know, really working at dressing your boys and girls like boys and girls. Um, you know, a lot of the, you know, even the baby clothes are now androgynous. And, and so, um, you know, really working to that. And I, and yes, is that cultural? Yeah. To some extent that's cultural and thank God that we have, uh, <laughs> uh, language for that in our, in our clothing still. Um, but, um, but allowing girls to be beautiful, um, encouraging girls to think in terms of being mom, in terms of making house, in terms of cooking and, um, and cleaning and those things, encouraging those things, um, I think, uh, there's a similar, um, they, they also need to have self-control over their feelings. Um, I usually did it a little bit differently when they, when the girls fell down, I still wanted them to have self-control, but instead of growling and flexing, um, I, I had, I just had them blow it out. I would just say, blow it out. And they had to, hmm. <laughs> but it was a similar skill. Cause I want them to have self-control of their feelings too. I don't want their emotions to rule them, but I was also trying to make it a little more feminine. Hmm. <laughs> Um, and, um, but, um, there again, um, we would, um, we would talk about, um, um, their, um, uh, the goal of them uh, being married, uh, the, the goal of a good man, um, uh, coming to, to win them, um, that, that I would approve of. Um, and so I'm um, from early, early on, uh, we talked about, um, marriage as a place where, um, they would be able to become mothers and, um, and, and make a home where they would practice hospitality, um, and, um, and raise a, a family in, in godliness. Um, but a lot of those conversations, um, a lot of that, um, teaching, um, and then, um, and then, you know, uh, reinforcing that at various points where, you know, and, and you're going to always, you know, you'll have a son that one day says, you know, um, I want to wear a dress and you, and you say, no, no, you don't. <laughs> And, uh, and remember children say weird things and you don't freak out and say, Oh no, my, my son's uh, having sexual identity problems. No, he's just being a little kid who needs to know where the lines are. Um, or you'll have a a daughter who says, I like shooting guns and you can say, well, I'll teach you to shoot guns some, but, um, but, uh, you are, you are not made by God, uh, to be a soldier. Uh, you're not made by God to be, um, a police officer. Um, that's for your brothers. That's for your dad. Um, that's for good men to protect you. Um, and so, you know, um, but you have to reinforce that you have to teach on it. And, um, and again, don't freak out because if you freak out, that's not faith. And, um, and they can tell, yeah, <laughs> they can tell if you're freaking out, but, um, calm, collected, confident. No, this is, this is your glory. Um, and lots of compliments for daughters. You're beautiful. Mm. Um, I love you. Um, I, I give a lot more, um, I, 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 I hug and, uh, all my kids, but I particularly hug and kiss my daughters. Um, and I, I hold them close and I would say you need to do that with your daughters. Even if you have some that pull away a little bit, just 
pull them back in and uh, uh, tell them they're beautiful, compliment their dresses, compliment their hair. Um, their glory is their beauty. Um, they are the glory of man. Um, that, that means they make us look good. Um, and, and, um, and so we need to, we need to lean into that, praise that compliment that. Um, and, um, and, and, and so those, those would be some of the things that I've done with my sons and daughters. Man, that's fantastic. Um, uh, I'd like, we should capture all that you just said and put it in a booklet and just pass it out. Uh, cause there's, there's, there's so much confusion and it, yeah, and, and people feel noble and virtuous. I, I I don't see this so much in the church, at least not in mine. But um, it is certainly the culture. I, I've I've known people in in my sphere, neighbors and whatnot, that they just they feel like it is an imposition, unfair imposition upon their children to to tell them what norms are for boys or girls, and and it's a it's a crime because these, these kids are confused and they're being denied a unique glory that they could enjoy that, that God has made them for that is a gift to receive. Um, so I had so much wisdom in, in what you shared. And I, I, I really appreciate that. And that, I think that's a good, that's a good note to end it on. Um, we've, we've been talking for just over an hour, but that's, um, I, I'm very, very much edified. And I'm sure other people who, um, watch or listen to this podcast will be very much challenged and edified by that. And these are the sort of things that we'll talk about at the conference that uh, we've invited you to Toby. And um, there will be uh, all, all of, all of these topics are related to the the big theme of God uh, rules the world through households and men and women are called to take dominion by building households. And that means fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, children, parents, uh, relations, and work and expanding, um, expanding the, the rule of God, the dominion of God across the earth. And all of these things are related to it. And that requires certain virtues that, that we can embody as men and women. So that starting young with the kids, that is, that is a beautiful word. Thank you. Uh, just as we wrap up here, do you have any, um, any final comments or, um, any books to promote or crypto scams that you want people to sign up for? <laughs> How can people keep up with you, Toby? I don't have any crypto scams to share with anybody. <laughs> um, I uh, no, I mean I'm I uh, I'm on the CrossPolitik uh, uh, show and podcast. You can find us at CrossPolitik.com, um, which is part of the Fight Laugh Feast network. Uh, where there's an app you can download if you want to catch our shows. Uh, just search Fight Laugh Feast on the App Store, um, and um, and then I'm I blog uh, regularly at a, a my own personal website called. Uh, which is my name, tobyjsumter.com. Um, I also post some of my sermon outlines and, and uh, other things that maybe I, uh, uh, meditations and exhortations I give to my people at my church. I'm pastor at King's Cross Church here in Moscow. Uh, you can find the, our website, kingscrossmoscow.com. And um, yeah, I'm, I've got a couple books out. Canon Press uh, published uh, No Mere Mortals on Marriage and uh, Bloodbot World. Uh, and, uh, um, I can't remember what else. Oh, I, I have a book by, on uh, the book of Job actually also. Oh, really? Um, That's interesting. From, uh, another, another small uh, publishing company called a sun for glory. Hmm. So that sounds fantastic. Um, well, thanks for tuning in to the plain speech podcast. Don't forget to register and check out more information about the King's domain conference coming up this April called gendered virtue. 
men and women who take dominion. Uh, Pastor Toby will be one of our keynote speakers at that conference. And if you want to find out more information or register for that, head on over to genderedvirtue.com for details, or you could also go to moscomood.com, get you to the same place. Um, <laughs> I would tell you to like and subscribe, but you already know to do that. But if you're inclined, I would love you to do that and leave a review on whatever podcast platform you use. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.